Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. Tell your friends. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Kirsten Heinz. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Wait, where's Joey? Ah. <laughs> hey, Kirsten, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Yeah, Joey's out at a conference. Hopefully he's learning some wonderful things to bring back to us next time. We're going to pick his brain. But man, so happy to have you in the studio. Fun we having, always love when you visit. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to be here today because we are going to be talking to one of the surgeons who helped with the world's first HIV heart transplant. Oh, I saw this. Yeah. This and there's a, a connection to Louisiana. Story. Wow, I'm excited about this. And we're also going to be talking about support, how important it is for our mental health, and um, just kind of breaking it down, what support really means. All right, so much to get to, guys. Hang on to your hats. Here we go. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are proud to reintroduce you. I hadn't been here in a while, but our friend, Susanna Martin, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. So aside from being our friend, uh, (laughs) her day job uh, is Lopa's community educator and our public relations specialist. And um, I just remember hearing from Susanna. We had her here to talk about history being made, and she was able to witness it up close. And you said this was like career changing for me and life affirming uh, from what you witnessed. So we are talking talking about um, a donor family uh, meeting um, uh, the recipient, right? So it's a a woman meets donor's family after first HIV positive to HIV positive heart transplant. And you were there when all this happened. Yes, absolutely. And it was truly life-changing. I mean, you know, the everything that had to go into play for all of this to happen, you know, and seeing them meet um, for the first time. The cool thing for me is, you know, we're on that on the donation side, Mm -hmm. you know, we knew this donor family, we knew their story. Um, and then when we brought them to the Bronx, um, to meet, um, Miss Nieves, you know, it was incredible to hear from her medical team. I mean, she has a very extensive medical team. Um, but one of those people on that team, um, is Dr. Saeed, um, who is her transplant, transplant cardiologist. And so, um, did I say that right, Dr. Saeed? Yeah, that, that's correct. And uh, <laughs> thank you for so much for having me on this to discuss the case. So we are so excited to have you here, um, you know, just to tell us, I guess, kind of to start, like where you and Miriam started, where did your story begin, um, you know, with Miriam? Sure. Uh, you know, I met Miriam through our heart failure clinic uh, in the hospital, and uh, she was already suffering from um, kidney failure and was uh, listed on the kidney transplant list, but was noted to by her kidney doctors to have heart disease and uh, weakness in the heart. And at that point, she was referred to me for further management. Uh, you know, so I investigated, you know, why that could be happening. It turned out she had some blockages in the arteries of her heart, uh, which is a common problem. And we addressed that by putting these stents in those arteries to uh, help her heart function. And, you know, she got on some medical treatment as well. And that worked um, for a bit of time. But uh, the heart weakness and the heart failure, as we call it, uh, progressed. And it really became very severe to the point uh, 
where she there was a day where she had an offer for a kidney donor, and uh, they were not able to really take it safely because the heart had gotten so weak. Oh wow! And at that point, uh, yeah, so that was the situation she was in. Yeah, and I, I do remember um, hearing you doing some of the media interviews um, back in November. You know, you were just talking about. I mean, how so much had to come into play, you know, so many things had to happen really in order for her to get this transplant, um, you know, to begin with. I mean, can you share just a little bit about about that and, you know, how um, I guess how it came to be that you guys were able to list her and, and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as, as she was in the situation with a severe weakness in the heart and, of course, being on dialysis and having very weak kidneys, the only way out um, for a person to get better from that is to get a transplant of the heart and the kidney together. So, you know, we have a whole transplant team, the heart transplant team. She was already listed for the kidney, but because of the situation, and then we evaluated her um, from sort of head to toe, every body system, because we have to make sure that all other systems are healthy enough, like the lungs, the liver, the blood vessels, and all that. And then we listed her for heart transplantation as well. And this was a global effort. Uh, you know, these are different specialists that look at these systems. There, of course, there's infectious specialists because she has a history of HIV, so they were very much in tune with the whole management. But, you know, the issue with transplantation is the availability of donors. It's already hard enough to get one donor just for a single organ, like the kidney. But then when you need two organs, it's it's much more difficult. So she was listed for two, but there was no offer coming. And what happens sometimes as patients are waiting on the wait list, uh, months go by, and they can get very sick. So even when they do get an offer, sometimes they get too sick to benefit from the transplant. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, something, you know, I think about all the time. Our team thinks about how can we safely reduce this waiting period. Yeah. And uh, this was very important um, for Miriam. So we, you know, she was on the list for both of these organs for several months, but not getting any good offers. Dr. Saeed, can I ask a question? Because you, you mentioned the wait list. Yes. And just so we all have a, this, like we're, so our, our audience has a picture. Is she listed on the same wait list? as the UNOS wait list, or is it different because of the HIV? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's the same wait list. Uh, so having uh, HIV does not put you on any separate list. However, there's only very few programs that offer transplantation to HIV patients because uh, you need a lot of expertise, specifically really from the infectious department, which our institution happens to have a, quite a history of, and, you know, very renowned specialists here from that. And we've been transplanting patients with HIV uh, for many years, um, of course, taking non-HIV donors, uh, which was different in this case. But, you know, you really need experience with that and expertise. So not most programs actually don't offer that. Some do. But once you are in a program that does and you get listed, it's the same list. As everybody else. So, too, just to make note, you know, you're, you've told us that, you know, there were HIV um, people living with HIV who had received heart transplants um, from people who were not HIV positive. And so the, the big part of this story is that this is the first HIV positive heart transplanted into someone living with HIV and then add on, you know, the kidney as well, the heart kidney coming um, 
you know, from the same donor as well. Yeah. And Dr. that's, that's so, right. Yep. Yeah. I had a question. This is Kirsten. Um, you know, you were talking about very few transplant centers, uh, transplant patients living with HIV. Is that because of the uh, complications with them already being immuno, possibly being immunosuppressed from the HIV and then having to go into immunosuppressions? Yeah. So that's the theoretical concern. And you know, transplantation is a very um, exclusive uh, field because these organs are precious. So when many years ago, um, you know, over two decades ago, when it was first reported, the first uh, case report of a HIV patient, person living with HIV, receiving a heart transplant from a non-HIV donor, it made a lot of news. But since then, you know, since some programs started to offer it, more and more experience built up. So the most recent report, you know, there have been over 100 cases of that, of people living with HIV receiving a heart transplant from a non-HIV donor. And, there was, and, you know, we've looked at the outcomes, and they're actually the same. So the probability of living to one year and three years is the same as somebody who does not have HIV. That's wonderful. That, so yeah, that, that's really interesting. Just to circle back here, you know, uh, since in this case, we, because she was waiting on the, on the list, and, you know, I was so worried about her getting sicker, uh, so the idea came about, you know, how about taking a donor that has HIV? So that is something that has not been done before. And that came about with the HOPE Act from 2013. My recollection, uh, was it about 2015 when they first started transplanting liver and kidneys from the HOPE Act? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, right, It was passed in 2013, and then programs, you know, very few, very, very few um, started the process, and it's mostly kidney transplantation. There have been some livers. And this is, you know, very tightly, of course, monitored. There's a whole team of the, the HOPE Act, and they follow these outcomes very carefully. But what we learned uh, just from the kidney, mainly transplants, is the outcomes after you do something like this, putting a, a, an HIV recipient and an HIV donor, putting them together, that the outcomes are really the same as in a as in a non-HIV donor, non-HIV recipient, or an HIV recipient with a non-HIV donor. So that's very reassuring for the kidneys. So that gave us confidence that perhaps we could also try to do the same thing for heart transplantation. Now, I do have another question because I remember, um, you know, when we were talking, when all of this came about with, you know, the donor family meeting, the Newtons meeting Miss um, Nieves. You know, we I, I talked with our um, chief clinical officer, and you know, I, I was just kind of asking him, like, how, you know, when we have a donor, all of that information goes into UNOS, and we, you know, it runs the reports and it shows us where these potential recipients are, and you know. It just so happened this was the first time someone living with HIV popped up for an HIV positive heart transplant, you know, and he said it's like we just very quickly moved into action. And so then, of course, my question was, well, we're getting this heart from Louisiana to New York. So am I correct in saying that you guys, um, y'all used a pump, correct? Yeah. So this is, um, you know, there's a certain limitation of time where the organ is out of the body. And because of new technology, where it allows us to put the heart when it's removed from the donor into a specific um, pump, as you call it, it's a machine, which perfuses the heart um, temporarily 
what that allows us to do is to go farther out. So because we can keep that heart in that machine, so it's not getting uh, damaged as in the transfer process. Because the limitation is about you know a few hours, but this allows us to add on even more time. So then that lets us to go from New York to Louisiana and recover this. So that's another element to the that allowed for this to here. happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. New technology. You know, um, just kind of, uh, I'm going to kind of move past um, the the clinical for a little bit. Um, you know, I was there, Dr. Saeed, with you and, you know, the media and the press. I, I don't know. Was that, <laughs> have you experienced that before? I mean, that room was so small <laughs> with, with all of those people in your face. Um, you know, it was, it was so overwhelming. But I, I would like to know from your perspective, you know, as her... Um, you know, as, as her doctor, you know, how was it, what was it like for you, I guess, um, to be able to see that meeting for, you know, for the Newtons and, and Miriam? Yeah, you know, it was, um, it's a very gratifying experience. I mean, this is an incredibly generous, uh, it's a really, literally a gift of life. I mean, with heart transplantation, that's, that's done by the donor's family. And then, of course, on Miriam's end, the bravery that, she displayed um, being the first of, of accepting this sort of thing. And then for the, the, for us really as, you know, her manager clinically and all the many people that make this process happen and then the media to pick that up and to then expose this to many thousands and hundreds of thousands of other people, it's really very gratifying. And uh, I think it shows that um, what the implication is here, you know, this is a, this is really changing somebody's life um, in an incredible way. And it has a potential, you know, just even outside of the HIV to HIV uh, concept, just transplantation in general, you know, this really is an, it continues to be a life-saving therapy. And so very happy to be a part of that experience. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And how is Miriam doing, if, if we can ask? Sure. So she, she's, doing, um, she's doing well. She has not been admitted to the hospital um, for many months. Um, she's living her life uh, as she had wanted to. Um, you know, it's, she has grandkids and they go out um, all the time. She was telling me um, to restaurants and she's really living um, like me and you, like normal life. Yes, she is. She's not uh, wasting a moment. I can tell you that because anytime yeah. I talk to her, she is just, you know, taking taking it in and making the most, you know, of, of every, every moment with her family. That's incredible. So Dr. Saeed, are, are you guys uh, continuing uh, to, to look for patients to list? Do y'all have anyone else uh, that may end up um, on the list? Right. Right, right. So that's the thing, you know, when, where do we go from here? Um, we actually do. And one thing we have to keep in mind is, through the framework of the HOPE Act, um, you know, at, at present time, only actually two institutions can offer this sort of transplantation, uh, where you take an HIV donor for a HIV uh, person living with HIV and do that. Uh, we're one of those institutions. So there are limitations, right? Uh, and the reason for that is, uh, at least at the way the rules are, that you your the program has to have performed at least prior five cases where they, for a person living with HIV, they took a non-HIV donor, just to demonstrate that their team has enough expertise in managing, you know, this complicated scenario. Right. And then only then 
you, you know, then you have to engage with the whole staff and then there's some paperwork and, um, you know, all the, there's institutional review boards. And once all that is certified, then the institution is able to do it. So for us, you know, we're at that. And then, of course, um, you know, we are have a, a lot of patients with HIV that we take care of with severe heart failure. And, uh, you know, we, we discussed the, this with them. And I got to tell you, most of those patients are, um, are, you know, they're okay with it. And they sign consent. It's a completely informed. They discuss the risks and benefits. But once they do, then we would act, we activate them within UNOS under this category so that uh, at the donor hospitals, if they do have a HIV um, person with HIV who's, you know, who's going to be an organ donor, that that specific match would come up for our recipient. So we're looking, you know, we have some active candidates, um, and I hope we can we can repeat this. And, you know, that thus far this case with Miriam demonstrated it's a safe thing to do. I mean, it, with a lot of preparation, you know, we had to, some of the things are like you have to make sure there's going to be no interactions with the HIV treatment medications and the heart transplant medications beforehand. Uh, that's just one of the many things. And, of course, in the process, it's it's a lot of different experts um, from the ID team, infectious mm-hmm. team, to the critical care medication, medicine team, the surgeons. Uh, I mean, the surgery itself is actually not that different, but, uh, but they have to be very closely engaged, you know, with the whole process, uh, no question about it. Um, so it's it's a lot of uh, teamwork, and you know it does help to have done one. You know, build on your experience. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. You got street cred now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, so you know, I I hope that this life saving therapy is offered to to others. Um, continues to be. Yeah, and Dr. Saeed, am I correct in saying that, you know, if you list someone, they're going to be listed for any heart that comes available that's a match, but only someone living with HIV can accept uh, an organ from someone who has had HIV, correct, with the HOPE Act? That's correct, yeah. So basically, this now allows somebody else to move up on the list if they get an organ from somebody living with HIV. Yeah, it's a finite, you know, the pool, and uh, anything we can do to increase the pool of organs just moves everybody up, just like you said. You know, it's it's one less person than on the list, so then others can move up uh, because we're reducing the list and the wait time. And then for the person getting the transplant that has a, that is living with HIV, and if they're agreeable to get this, it they're in an, they're the only person in that line, right? Because yeah. nobody else is eligible. So, which in Miriam's case actually made an enormous difference because once we activated this for her, you know, we we were able to get the offer within a few days. Where yeah. prior to that, she was waiting for many months. Oh, right. Uh, so now that after, may not happen every time, but it did in this case. Right. So you're saying after y'all activated, you know, allowing her to receive the HIV positive heart, that's when within what you said three or four days she got the call. Yeah, within a few days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Dr. Saeed, if if you're okay, um, can I quote you from your Good Morning America interview <laughs> that you did? Um, We've all heard it. <laughs> back in November because, you know, I, I think that it is 
it was so powerful. And, you know, especially for our listeners, um, you said, we hope that this case demonstrates a doorway into the incredible power that donors with HIV have a have of saving other people's lives, including donating their heart. And, you know, I think you kind of just said that, you know, that this really opens the door for um, so many more lives, you know, to be saved. Um, Sort of Kirsten, as you were saying, you know, and allows more people to move up. But then these those living well, with HIV are able to have yeah, that opportunity. And the other side of it that we really haven't hit on as much is what it the opportunity for the donor family for the donor and family. For, yeah. Right. And the, the healing that they receive, Nyla, you you know, you talk to our donor families every day, you know, and this there is a a healing that happens when they know their loved one was able to live on through someone else. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Um, and, and this the family that came out to meet you, I, I can't even imagine what that was like for you to personally meet the family of the heart that you touched that saved a life for someone waiting for Dr. Saeed. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, you know, we don't interact with the donor families. Um, it's very rare that we're able to, to meet them. And, I mean, it's really uh, incredible. And to see, you know, her pictures and her mom there and her sisters, it's incredible. I well, mean, and, you know, I, I don't know if you were like me, too. I mean, you know, we get, we on the organ procurement side, we get to see a lot of these or more commonly now, these donor family recipient meetings. And like you said, it's not as common for you all. Um, but it amazed me, you know, from Louisiana to the Bronx, New York, you know, these families just embraced. And I had the incredible privilege of getting to spend the rest of the day with them. And I mean, instantly, they were family. I mean, yeah. they, you know, we went to dinner. We watched all of the TV and media and the bar of this restaurant because that's the only place that had the TV. So we were and watching and, yeah. you know, and, and it was, there was a lady crying because, you know, she's like, this is incredible. I mean, just a patron of the restaurant, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, you know, the way that they connected and, and it was, it was kind of crazy to me because when we first approached the Newtons, even after we got there before they met Miriam, you know, they said, now tell us why this is so big like why is this such a big deal you know and and we we explained it to him again and we said you know this really is truly history in the making I mean this is medical um I mean groundbreaking I think clinically you know and and in your field um but it really it, it truly was incredible to to see and be a part of and Miriam, um, I know that you mentioned this on the top. I'm going to do it again in our next episode. We're going to actually speak to her and get yes. her perspective, which is so awesome. But here at LOPA, we often talk about these, you know, ripple effects. So we talk about history being made and all the science behind it, which, wow, right? Like amazing uh, doctors like Dr. Saeed who can make this happen, which is pretty awesome. But then you get people who never would have thought about donation. They see a story on local news in New York. It came all the way uh, to Louisiana. It was on Good Morning America. So all of these people clicking, talking about this. Have you seen right. this? Yeah. And my favorite is when our own friends who know we're in the donation field, like, did you know about this? It says from Louisiana on here. <laughs> so just the, the ripple effects and yeah. getting people excited about donation, excited about possibilities and what's next. Like, I thought that was so amazing. All of the aspects of this story. OK, I do have to ask a question. Uh, when you knew this was all going to happen, you're a transplant doctor, you have all this knowledge, you have all this expertise, I'm not clinical. What was that like for you? 
It, it was, uh, quite honestly, you know, we were, it was exciting um, because, uh, you know, we had put a lot of effort and thought into it, but you don't really know if it's going to be a go, you know, until you see that organ. And so we were, we were excited. You know, it's, again, it's, it's not I'm part of a whole team. All of us were. But then at the same time, we have to be cautious. We have to, you know, we have a protocol for every little step along the way. So it was like, you know, okay, everybody just kind of have to, under, you know, cross all the T's, dot all the I's. And the team here, you know, is extremely experienced. Our hospital has done over 500 heart transplants. But yet, you know, so the process is very similar. But of course, you know, now the, this is specifically this sort of uh, type of transplantation is first. So it just, you know, everybody's just further kind of on their toes about it. And I think we were just ready. We're just like <laughs> excited and ready. And, and most importantly, I was just very happy for Miriam. Right. You know, I, I think she was suffering, you know, being on dialysis. She was doing this dialysis thing at home and uh, with the heart failure. And then every day waiting on the list is, is uh, very difficult. So I was elated. I was like, oh, God, finally, this, this waiting period hopefully will <laughs> end. Well, you think you can't like we'll him anymore. Well. I know. <laughs> well, and, and, the, and the thing is, too, you're saying that, you know, when I met Miriam, instantly connected with her. So I can't imagine having been her her team of physicians mm. and treating her. I mean, I fell in love with her instantly. And y'all had had all of this time with her. And like you said, seeing her suffer and seeing her struggle and then being able to to have that. I mean, I know y'all were probably her biggest cheerleaders. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, how how everything, you know, how excited her team was. And um, and I like that they're pushing team teamwork. It oh, took every one of us an incredible from different team. fields. Yeah, just yeah. amazing. And I'm going to say, too, uh, Montefiore's public relations team is incredible, too, to help make all of that happen, you know, for these and for these doctors to give their time and, you know, energy into this uh, press conference. But Dr. Saeed, we thank you so, so much for your time, um, for sharing with us um, your knowledge and expertise um, and, and just just chatting with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for having me on and discussing this topic. It's, it's, a, it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. Um, I, I do like him even more than when we started. How, how cool is that? Keep yeah. doing great work. Susanna, thank you for sharing your perspective sure. and traveling with this family and taking care of them. As we know, uh, you did such a great job with that. But I mean, we're talking history, hope, making life happen. Does it get any better? I mean, we're pushing the envelope here. All right, more to come here on The Gifted Life. Here on The Gifted Life podcast, we take a moment for mental health. Okay, Nyla, what are we talking about today? Okay, I'm super excited. Okay, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, if if you listened to our last podcast, we talked about uh, balance and the four-legged stool. Mm-hmm. So just to give everybody a recap, um, our family service department sends out mailings to our families. And this is my favorite one that we send because we do a call and we send the card, but it's a reminder of what balance is all about. Mm -hmm. And it's the, in your mind, it's a picture of a stool and a stool has four legs. Mm -hmm. So one of those legs is what we're going to be talking about today is support and how important it is for our mental health. Because without support, it can lead to loneliness, it can lead to vulnerability, um, and it can also 
that can turn into depression for some people or anxiety. Mm-hmm. So support is so strong. But, you know, I'll ask people, do you have support? And, oh, yes, I have a great I have a huge support group. Um, if you ask my daughter, she would go to social media and say, oh, mom, I've got so many friends, you know, along with her close friends that she sees. But I mean, so we all have different ideas of what support is, but I'm just going to give you four different types. And the reason it's so important is because we when we need support, sometimes we don't know what type of support we're getting from somebody. Mm-hmm. So we need to know what we're looking for, right? So there's yeah. there's emotional support, and that's so you feel accepted, you feel safe. understood, safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then informational support, like, I mean, you can get that from an exercise video, turning on the news. I mean, do you need information? Do you need to go to a doctor? That's going to be your informational support tangible. So that's, you've heard the old saying, can I borrow a cup of, you know, sugar? Mm-hmm. So do you have somebody that would give you a ride if your car broke down? Do you have um, somebody who could lend you $10 if you couldn't get into the movies? I mean, that's the kind of, it's, it's doing someone or having someone do you a favor mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, and then self-esteem, affirmation uh, support, which just makes you feel respected. That's where volunteering can come in, um, having purpose, uh so if you think about these types of support, like my husband's great. He can solve a problem. So if I go to him and yet I need emotional support, then I may walk away feeling not supported. Because he's going to give you information, huh? Yes. Yes. He's going to want to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. But if I can go to one of my girlfriends to say, man, I'm just so sad, they're just going to listen and they're going to give me a hug. Do you know, like, me this is off topic, but I think like seven hugs a day increases your happiness and joy. It's that touch. I totally get that. And as you were talking, uh-huh. I was thinking as you were clicking them off and I was picturing people p- 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 popping up like, um, who, who would I turn to or who who would I call? I mean, some of them are uh, on this podcast right now, right? Like I know you guys w- would be there for me. Um, and then just different walks of, of life. Who would you call another mom um, of, of a child in our group or something like that? So, um, yeah, that's a good exercise to, to go through. Who, you, who would you rely on? Yeah, and then... It's not a bad thing if you don't have this support in your corner, but how can you build it? And getting creative and finding ways that you can increase your support system. Get to know your neighbor. You know, that might be the person that gives you the ride to work. Right. Um, spending time with your coworkers. So it's, you know, it's just all about building that support, recognizing what type of support you have and um, enjoying that support. It's Do important. you have any suggestions for people that are afraid to ask for help or support? Yeah. You know, if if. That's a good question. And I think there's professional support, too, that you can go to. Like for all our families, we are an additional layer of support. So we're hoping that when we reach out to a family, that we let them know and they understand that if they you can be in a room full of people and still feel lonely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's because you don't want to burden them. Like you said, you're scared. Like you don't want to talk about the loss of your loved one because maybe you don't want them to be sad or maybe they've heard you talk too much about your loved one in your head what you're thinking so that's when we say reach out to us Mm -hmm. i mean that's what we want we want to learn about our heroes um we want to be so there's all sorts of support so look if you're feeling lonely out there i suggest call our family services because we are a type of support and we can help you get creative trying to figure out where can you reach out for additional support i can attest to that very good if you have a topic you'd like us to cover here on the gifted life all you have to do is email us info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, 
I'd like to understand if a person is identified as a donor on the license, but will also be cremated, what are those steps or the process to make sure organ donation is done first? Ooh, ooh, can I answer this one? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, that's a really interesting question, right? Because a lot more people, I feel, when we're out in the community are talking about cremation. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Definitely hearing more of that. So the most important thing is, first, thank you for registering. And please share that information with your family. Um, It's going to make it much easier for them to follow through with your decision if they know. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's first step. Um, The next step is... To be an organ donor, um, you have to die in a hospital, right? So if you are in a hospital and you have a traumatic injury and and progress uh, to be a possible organ donor, Mm -hmm. the hospital is going to notify LOPA or the organ procurement organization in your state or or area, and they're going to work with your family um, to let them know that you registered as a donor and go through that process. Um, If you die outside of a hospital, you could still be a tissue donor or cornea donor, and um, you can actually uh, contact either the medical examiner or contact the organ procurement organization right after your loved one dies to see if that is a possibility. Any type of donation is not going to interfere with cremation. Um, It's not going to interfere with open casket either. So you have all your options um, available. As long as the the person died in a manner that you would have been able to have an open casket Mm -hmm. before you can still have an open casket. So um, even though they asked cremation, I just wanted to put that out there because we get that question too. So yeah, just a lot of good information. Yeah, so we will work with um, the family to find out where their loved one is, the services are going to be held, if there's going to be a memorial service or, or what funeral home will be taking care of the, of the cremation and work to get the, that, uh, that donor to them. And then um, any costs associated with the actual cremation, burial, or anything else is the responsibility of the family. That's where we have to stop. But it uh, definitely does not interfere, um, and you can be uh, a donor first and then and be cremated afterwards. Good. Yeah, great question. Look, we appreciate all questions and encourage you to give us a call at 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Christopher Bajeron. Chris was a loving son known for his kindness and generosity. He enjoyed the outdoors, especially fishing and hunting. Chris passed away suddenly, but his wishes of being an organ donor were fulfilled to three recipients. It gives me peace knowing his gifts have helped them thrive, one of which we talk to almost daily, and I consider her a good friend. He has loved and missed each and every day. And now we pause and say thank you to Chris for the gift of life. And that's going to do it for episode 210 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. And we want to thank Dr. Saeed and Susanna Morton for coming down to join us for this amazing discussion. This was history. Yes. Yes, in the making. And I love these episodes that really just show us, you know, we are always pushing the boundaries of what's next with organ and tissue donation. Always learning. Remember, the best place to find us and to help spread that knowledge is on our website, thegiftedlife.org.
Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find us. And on social, you can please like our Facebook page. It's called The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're one big team. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>